Hello and welcome to Mallow Street Talks. My name's Amy Hollywood and I'll be taking you through some different topics from the pensions industry. This season aims to focus on some hot topics with the unique focus of trying to help younger people understand the pension world better. Today's episode will focus on communication and engagement, how pension schemes can communicate better with younger audiences, but also how young people can engage more with their pensions. Finances can be a hard thing to navigate, especially as a young person just coming into the workforce. Younger people have kind of competing demands on their uh, finances. It's also worth stressing the complicated landscape young people face in terms of the assets that are available to them. You can go on any social media and browse for two minutes and you can find someone under the age of 25 asking for financial advice. And I use that word advisedly. In this episode, I speak to a wide range of guests on their knowledge of the pensions industry to help pension professionals to understand how to communicate better with younger people, but also to help us young people to know how we can get to understand our pensions better. Because of automatic enrolment, a lot of young people who have already started in the workforce are also already saving. Despite the success, some people feel a little bit concerned that contributions won't rise enough to a level that is adequate for old age pensions. This is why communication is so important and many debate when is the right time for young people to engage with their pensions, whether it's early on or whether it's at a later stage. Again, this all depends on what we mean by engagement. So I'm gonna go to our first guest, Joe Craig from Quiet Room, which is a communications consultant specializing in the world of pensions. They have a particular focus on language and storytelling, and Joe is going to tell us a little bit about why this is so important in the pensions industry. Hi Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. My first question is just based around engagement. I wanted to ask, what can young people do to engage more in their pensions? But also, what can schemes do to engage young people more? And what even is engagement? That is the big question and the place that I'd start. And we talk to a lot of schemes who come to us saying, well, we want people to engage, particularly young people, or we really need more engagement for our members. And straight away, you've got to break that down and ask, well, what does that look like? What do you want people to be doing? And arguably for a lot of young people, the best thing they could do to engage with their pensions is to be auto-enrolled and then forget about it for many, many years. So then you get into the conversation of, well, actually, okay, fine, but we want people to bump up to a high level of contribution, or we want people to not opt out. Maybe as a scheme, we've got this cohort of people and they're opting out to higher rates. So let's engage them. And then it's a different conversation. So the first thing is to break down what you actually want for these people. The job with people who are just joining the workforce is really more importantly building your relationship with these young people so that they know you so they trust you so they have faith in the institution of a pension and this is the bigger piece and the harder piece because then you're looking at the trust that people have or don't have in financial institutions you're looking at their attitudes to money to the future Yeah, definitely. I think it's especially interesting to be specific about what we mean when we talk about engagement. Obviously, automatic enrolment has made it a lot easier for people who are just entering the workforce to have a foot up and get started. 
Uh, but what was interesting that I wanted to ask your thoughts on is I think there's a lot of focus about the way that pensions are communicated to the audiences, the method. But actually, what I found from talking to these people in this focus group was that although they'd all had a different method of communication, they all were the same in the fact that they weren't too aware of what was happening with their pensions. And I think that this highlights a different issue of maybe it's not the way or the method that we communicate, but maybe it's the language or something else. And I would love to hear what your thoughts are on that. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head that there's so much talk and distraction around the method of communication and what you'd call the channel oh we're writing to people but that's old-fashioned we need to email them oh but that's old-fashioned we need to be sending them a video oh but that's old-fashioned we need to beam a message straight into their brains and look if the message that you're sending to people or the story that you're telling is still weighed down by jargon is still a story about oh you you're going to retire in 40 years you're going to need money then look this is you as an old person that's not going to work whatever method you use or if it's the other cliche about oh just give up a coffee every day and pay that into your pen Mm -hmm. in what other industry do you talk about the thing that you're going to give up now for a thing that you might get in the future so it sounds like to me this issue with communication actually causes a breakdown of relationship between the two, the pension scheme and the pension user. Um, Does that impact how people view their pensions and how they go to seek about information or regulated advice? Your role as a pension scheme, as a trustee, is sidelined because people don't know who you are, because Mm -hmm. you're not thinking about the trust people have in the institution, in the system of pensions in the financial system so people will more readily turn to a place where they've got advice on other things before where they've learned to do other stuff if you want to learn to do anything you go to youtube and watch a video about how to do it so if someone's worried about their financial futures why wouldn't they do the same thing so all this conversation around what method of communication are you using what method of listening are you using how are you finding out what young people want what their priorities are how they feel what their questions are. How open are you in that conversation? You can go on any social media and browse for two minutes and you can find someone under the age of 25 asking for financial advice. And I use that word advisedly. I did it literally five minutes before I came on this call just on my own Twitter feed. I wasn't even looking for it. And someone had put up a post saying, over 30s what's your best piece of financial advice for people who are under 30 that's someone who's asking the world asking people they don't know on the internet that they're turning to for financial advice over the trustees of their workplace workplace pension scheme so what are you doing to open up that channel so that people come to you first not necessarily for regulated financial advice but as a source of support we need to be much less uh, worried about the, the touchy issue of, oh, are we getting close to that line? You can get a lot closer to that line than you think you can. And it's amazing the different attitude that schemes have. Some want to stay as far away as possible. Some get really close and there's a huge difference in communications. But also we need to be looking at what services we can put in place that go beyond that line that are regulated that you're going to have to pay for to support people in those decisions. 
that does bring me on to the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about because I think Quiet Room did a really good job of listening when they came up with the new simpler annual benefit statements. Could you tell me a little bit about that and I guess how that can benefit young people too? Sure. The simple annual benefit statement started as the standard annual benefit statement. The idea was that you get a statement from your pension scheme every year and over the course of your working life you'll probably be a member of more than one workplace scheme. So we started with the thought that you just need to be able to put all of these pieces of paper next to each other and one, compare them, two, add them up, work out where you stand, what have you got? How are you, how are you getting on? Just make it, make it easier. So that involved restructuring the statement. It involved standardizing the language obviously simplifying the language. Now, if you look at that standard annual statement, the key information, the headline is, this is what you've put in. This is what you've got to add to that from your employer and the investments and tax relief. So this is what you've got now. Yeah. And that is the most engaging message. And the idea is that schemes can send out whatever they want alongside it. So if they're already doing amazing, outstanding stuff and they know their members want something else, that can be page three or a front page with the two pages of the standard annual statement alongside it. Great. That's the idea or some of the ideas behind the simple annual statement. Joe is not alone in his thoughts that communication should be simpler in order to help people to engage more with their pension. Rowena Crawford who's the Associate Director at the Institute for Fiscal Studies, has led research into areas such as pension saving for retirement and planning for later life to understand how and when people are accumulating assets and how to spend that in retirement well. She believes that clear communication makes all the difference to retirement. I think the key thing for um, pension funds a lot of the time is the simplicity of the communication. Um, so quite often there are, you know, they send annual statements about funds and so on. And over time, they have been getting better, I think, about you know, writing things in, in simple language and trying to explain to people what these might be worth and, um, and, and so on, given people's contribution behaviour. Um, it is difficult because there's a lot of regulation about you know, what they are allowed to say and how they are presented. And they've got to have all their terms and conditions and, and things to, to be totally transparent. But I think the moves towards simplicity really help. Um, and I think also being pragmatic about how much people really need to understand at different stages. Um, when you're young, there is still quite a long time until retirement. There's time to engage more along the way, um, make different decisions in later life that will um, either undo the effects or amplify the effects of decisions you made in younger life. Um, I mean, work we've done has shown that it can be you know, quite sensible to do a lot of your pension saving later in life. And therefore, actually, less engagement earlier on might be fine as long as people start engaging properly. Should young people be getting very involved with their pension? I've, I've, heard, I've heard an argument that the earlier people do become engaged, um, there's also a risk of high withdrawal rates and things like that. Um, or is there, I, I don't know, a perfect time or, or a time slot where it would be good for people in their working lives to become more engaged? So engagement is, is very difficult and we know that engagement is very 
low in terms of engaging with pensions. I mean, not just for young people, kind of across the board, engagement is very low. And that's why the government introduced automatic enrolment as a way of kind of defaulting people into pensions, because even just, just the decision of whether to save in a pension, people weren't really engaging with that. And therefore, there were very low pension saving rates in the UK until automatic enrolment came along. Um, and I think engagement is difficult because, like you say, you don't want people watching their pension fund balance every five minutes because by its nature it's meant to be invested in longer term probably more risky assets that go up as well as down and the minute a crisis like the financial crisis or coronavirus comes along you don't want people panicking at the sight of their pension fund dropping um, which it did staggeringly so the kind of first quarter of last year you want people leaving their assets in and seeing the recovery and the subsequent growth as well so you certainly you know over engagement if you like is is does have some disadvantages i mean that said you 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 do want people to i think we do want people to think about the fact that pensions exist and what they're there for and whether it's right for somebody to be in there so we want people to engage enough to know that say their employer makes a contribution and they should join their pension in order to get that cash from their employer that they might otherwise miss out on um whether we whether it matters so much about whether people engage in exactly what funds they're invested in or you know for a lot of people actually um a default setup might might be relatively okay for them and the extra costs of them for having to understand what's going on and engage with it properly for a lot of people actually they don't have the you know the financial acuity they don't have the numeracy they don't understand the product market enough to do that um and you know being frank i think for a lot of people it's just not worth them trying to get on top of all that knowledge and start their working life and they've got lots of other things to think about um so it, yeah as you say it's a kind of not exactly a double-edged sword, but there's, there's pros and cons. I'm not sure trying to get everybody actively engaged in their pensions all the time is necessarily an objective we should be um, should be rooting for. Uh, but certainly I think it's good if people understand that pension exists, understand that they're in one if they are, understand the benefits they're getting, and are sort of you know thinking about that when they're making choices about, you know, should I buy a house? How big a house should I spend? Do I want to save more for retirement? When do I want to save for retirement? Those sort of broad brush decisions, at least. I think that's a great point that you just finished on because I I conducted a very small focus group um, with a group of young people. It was very interesting to hear um, kind of their thoughts on how they choose to kind of spend or invest or what they want to do with their money. Um, all of them said that instead of saving for a pension, they would be a lot more interested in saving for a house. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. You know, do can the two coincide? Does it have to be one over the other? But also, why do you think there's more of a focus on saving for a house than thinking of the long term? Because what they also later said was that they understood that pensions were important and they wanted to have enough money to live pretty comfortably in the future. But for some reason, it wasn't their priority right now. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I think there's a, a couple of inter important things to say. So um, pensions are very important to provide you with an income stream in retirement when you can't or don't want to work anymore. And, you know, you, you need financial funds in order to, to buy things. Um, but also you need somewhere to live. And actually entering retirement as a owner occupier with a house gives you a huge flow of benefits throughout retirement. You don't need to pay for rent. That's a massive expense that's taken care of. 
So even if you don't want to go and spend your housing wealth or you know, draw down that or move to a smaller property or access that wealth in any way, just by having, uh, having a house, you do an awful lot for your financial security in retirement, actually. So I think it's often kind of, it's often seen as a tension between saving for in a house or saving for retirement, but actually saving in a house for retirement, you know, does, does a lot for you as well. Um, I think, you know, one of the reasons why younger people are much more focused on housing than they are on pensions is because housing has a very immediate benefit, right? You can, you can move into your house and start living in it from, from the moment you're, you're buying it. Um, and there's an awful lot of emotion wrapped up in that as well. It's not just a you know, financial asset that people are saving for. I mean, it is and they are. Um, but it's, I think it's much more for people about having the security of somewhere to live, feeling like you're making progress, being able to paint the walls whatever colour you like, all of these sorts of things which are wrapped up in housing as well. But, you know, having some numbers in your pension doesn't have quite the same appeal. Yeah, and that does make a lot of sense. What would you say to people who are young and coming into the workforce? So in many ways, uh, that suggestion to start saving young um, has a lot of merit to it. Um, the justification normally given is that of compound interest, that the earlier you save, the longer your savings have to accumulate um, a return. And therefore, if you want to accumulate a particular sum of money by retirement, say, or you know, for some other point in life, the earlier you start saving, um, the longer it's got to build up to reach that value. So in some sense, that argument, you know, that, that makes perfect mathematical sense. Um, but going against that, uh, you have to think about the fact that you have other demands on your money, other things you, you might want to do. Um, and they vary across the life cycle as well. And the resources that you have available to you vary across your working life as well. So somebody that's just starting out in the labor market, say, is probably earning a lot less, hopefully, than they're going to earn later on in their working lives. You know, we typically think that people's earnings grow um, during, during, over their lifetime. So they're going to be earning a lot more by the time they're 50 than they do at 22, say. Um, and also people are saved, you know, they're starting out of working life quite possibly with, with no wealth. Um, and there is other reasons, there's lots of reasons you might want to save. So you might be saving for retirement, you know, that really long, long in advance wanting to build up um, wealth for it over that long period and getting advantage of that interest. Uh, but you might have other reasons for saving. You might want to save to go on holiday. You might want to save a rainy day fund, you know, build up that buffer from the point you start work. Um, you might be saving to get on the housing ladder. And there are all of these competing objectives, particularly for younger people, just because they're starting out and they have to build up all of these things from scratch in a lot of cases. It is clear that young people go through a lot when they're first entering the workforce. Many different things do seem to grab our attention and can distract us from our pensions. But one thing that has been made very clear from all of these conversations is just the importance of communication and how that can really change the way that somebody views their pension currently and in later life. My third and final guest is Mari Dearden from the Pensions Ombudsman. She's going to speak a little bit more about the kinds of complaints that they deal with and why clear communication from early on is so vital to having a happy retirement. I'm here with Mari Dearden from the Pensions Ombudsman. Mari, hello, good to see you. Would you mind just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what the Ombudsman does, specifically the pensions one? Hi, Amy. My name is Mari Dearden and I lead on our engagement function at the Pensions Ombudsman. We're a small arm's length body. We have about 120 staff now. 
um, we can investigate and determine complaints and disputes concerning occupational and personal pension schemes. And we look at the facts without taking sides. Our service is free and our decisions are legally binding. This year, we celebrated 30 years of helping consumers in the pensions industry to get things right. We can help if you're a member of a pension scheme, used to be a member of a scheme, think that you should be a member of a scheme, or that if you believe you're entitled to benefit from somebody else's pension, for example, following a divorce or a bereavement. Yes, of course, that makes sense. It's good to know that this is the service that is actually available for people to use. I was just wondering, how many complaints does the pensions ombudsman actually deal with? How many inquiries do you get on average? We have our inquiries team and they form an increasing part of our work. We dealt with 11,000 inquiries last year and they deal with general inquiries from the public about their pensions. We know that pensions are complex and technical and they spend a large part of their time listening to people's concerns, explaining how different pensions work and helping them if they think they may have a complaint about their pension. We often provide them with contact details of the people who can help them, such as the new government service Money Helper, and that's been set up to provide advice to people on their pensions and the options available. Wow, it's quite interesting to hear that a lot of what the inquiries team deal with is actually explaining how pensions work. How do you deal with more of the complaints side? We can deal with complaints um, under two different work streams, early resolution or adjudication. Our early resolution service um, deal with complaints informally and at an early stage and often before the issues have been considered formally by both sides. Um, and we work with both parties to reach an agreement that both parties are happy with. Great. It's really helpful to know what the process is like. I was wondering what it's like for more formal complaints. You mentioned adjudication. Could you go into that a little bit more and pretend, say, I'm complaining about something that is a little bit more serious? If things get more formal, they go to our team of adjudicators and they deal with complaints that we investigate before making a decision. You'll need to make a formal complaint to the people that are at fault and give them a chance to put it right. If the ombudsman makes a decision, um, a determination in your favour, it will usually include instructions to put things right. We can instruct a pension scheme to put you back in the place you should have been before the error, and there's no limit on financial redress. Where do things go wrong with, with people's pensions along the line? I think the best advice um, I can give is to share with people how to avoid um, ending up in a dispute or complaint in the first place. And I'd say to people they need to engage with their pension at the earliest opportunity to understand how it works and the future benefits it may bring. You know, have a look online. Most providers now provide useful resources online about their pensions. You know, sign up for information. Um, get your annual benefit statement. So um, that tells you how much your pension is worth now and it provides calculations for future values. And if you're not sure or you don't understand, you know, talk to your particular pension scheme. Um, most of them will have web chat facilities now. And the government's recently not launched a new service called Money Helper. That's online or on the phone and it's free and people are there to um, listen to you and talk to you and help you understand um, about your pension and how it might work.
One of the big things we see is that people don't keep their pension schemes up to date when they experience a significant life change and that can then cause headaches and problems and lead to complaints down the line, often years later. Great. And I think um, it's really good that you raise those points because um, speaking with other people um, about this is quite interesting because you mentioned the annual benefit statement and um, speaking to Joe Cray from Quiet Room, they've developed the, the, simp the more simple annual benefit statement to make it easier to engage with that. Um, and then also speaking with Verena Crawford from IFS um, just about when to be engaging in, in your pensions and, and she spoke a bit about those life stages those important life stages where you need to be updating um your updating your pensions and, and letting them know that this is something that has happened and so it's good that you raised that because it's clear to see that when that doesn't happen that's where the where people um feel like things are going wrong and where it can cause issues later down the line what do you think some of the communication problems um, that have arisen and how can they be prevented in regards to communication from the pension scheme side and the users side? Yes, Amy. Um, I mean, basically what we'd like to do is, um, you know, share our experience and knowledge with the pensions industry so that they can avoid the ombudsman. Um, I would say if problems occur, then pick up the phone and talk to people, listen and explain manage people's expectations from the outset, and don't be afraid to have a difficult conversation. We often deal with complaints and inquiries that could have and should have been dealt with at source. We spend a great deal of our time telling people what the provider could have told them right at the beginning of a problem or misunderstanding. Um, the fact is that even in the best run scheme, sometimes things go wrong or take too long. How they then handle handle that often dictates if the people then come to us. If firms are quick to acknowledge that things haven't worked as well as they should have, say sorry and take steps to make sure that the complaint, complainant isn't worse off and avoid people needing to come to us. Often our complaints um, stem from poorly worded communication. Our cases often relate to historical issues when things weren't perhaps as good as they are now and we now see Firms are putting things into plain English and taking more time to explain to people how their pensions work. Our experience is, is that now people are putting a lot more effort into making sure that their communications are clear and understandable. But pensions are complex and technical and people still can find them hard to understand and the, the industry still could do better. We see that over a third of our complaints are closed by providing a more robust explanation to the com complainant. We often see companies put more effort into defending what they've done rather than give people an explanation that they can understand and put things right. So perhaps the moral of the story is don't get defensive and make the effort to explain. I think it's very interesting to hear that perspective from a company that deals with complaints because it's clear to see that language is just so important, that it is just such a big part of understanding and avoiding things that um, could just be avoided but end up escalating further down the line or it's something as simple as clear communication that can really make all the difference so it's really just great to hear that from your perspective. Sorry can I go in there Amy I mean I think a large part of what we're wanting to do going forward is that we want to work with the pensions industry to improve complaint handling we want people to resolve more complaints themselves and promote informal dispute resolution. 
Yeah. And with that aim, we want to share our resources and experience and knowledge about complaints to reduce complaints. Complaints aren't good for consumers and they're not good for business. And we're unfortunately facing an ever increasing demand and we need to manage increasingly limited resources more effectively. And we really want to focus on the people that need our help the most. Yeah, I think that is definitely a really great thing to just kind of end on, because um, I think a lot of the things that um, we've touched on just in the brief time that we've spoken about has addressed the importance of younger people engaging in their pensions early on so that they can update with different life stages and different life changes, but also the importance of the pensions industry understanding and communicating better with not just younger people, all ages, to avoid unnecessary um, complaints and unnecessary hassle really for everybody involved. Um, so thank you so much for your time and just for sharing your thoughts. For me, the question is not so much around the method of communication and it's not so much around the timing of the communication even. It's what story are you telling? How are you talking to people? How are you making them feel about their pensions, about themselves, about the world. And a lot of that comes down to the language that you're using. How are you engaging people? And I mean engaging in the sense of getting people to feel like they are part of this. Oh, they filled in a form and sent it back. That's engagement. But if you really want someone to have the best outcome, they feel engaged. They are part of this world. They're on the same side as you. You're also looking out together saying your interests are my interests. You're building a closer relationship and you're building trust and that's a constantly changing constantly building thing that you create over time you don't just engage them when they're auto enrolled and then on the 30th birthday and then when they buy a house be open and transparent with the information that you have so that you are i suppose the phrase would be you're a caretaker but you're not a gatekeeper if you like you can interpret yeah. that many different ways, but you've yeah. got the knowledge, you have a history, you have experience, but you're not keeping it behind lock gates. You're not stopping people getting to it and you're not only releasing it at certain times. So that includes your own experience. Young people particularly want a tool. They want something that they can use to be an active part of the world. There's, a, there's an old cliche about when you're young and you're really clever, you look at how you can change the world and then you get old and then you get a little wiser and you work out how to change yourself. And there's something in that for pensions communication that the older someone gets and the closer they get to retirement, the more you should be talking about that individual and the immediate situation that they're in and the money that they have and looking to retirement because that's the way people's concerns narrow in a way. When someone's young, they're looking out at the world. And that's why you have an extraordinary power to talk about the things that that person's money does in the world. And that concludes this episode on communication and engagement within the pension industry. A special thanks to all three of our guests, Joe Craig from Quiet Room, Rowena Crawford from IFS, and Mari Dearden from the Pensions Ombudsman. We hope that this has been useful for not only pension professionals, but also younger people wanting to know more about their pension. Please do check out our website for more information on some hot topics in the pensions industry, including communication and engagement that we discussed today. Join us next time as we look into fintech and how that is shaping the pensions industry.
Until then.